you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Scripture reading this morning from Psalms 37, verse 21 is a very important verse to me because it's stamped inside all of my books. The wicked borrow and does not repay. <laughs> I just emphasize the importance of returning my books. <laughs> One more thing about the home fellowships we're going to have next week. Um, what the plan is, uh, is when you meet, is at some point when you guys are together, uh, we want to read out loud together the book of 1 John. Uh, not everybody has to read, uh, so whoever's there just kind of get organized, whether it's the host or someone else, but the idea is to kind of figure out who would, who's comfortable reading out loud, and then we'll all gather together, and we'll read out loud through the entire book. Uh, and then after that, um, we want to uh, share certain uh, passages that may be more impactful. You might be reminded of something. Uh, but the idea is to just kind of fellowship a little bit around the word and what it says. Uh, when I say what it means to you, I don't mean as far as your interpretation. Uh, we, we all believe that the scripture means what it says. Uh, but there is this idea of perhaps maybe uh, uh, you've applied a passage uh, in your life in a particular way that was uh, uh, very um, uh, helpful in some situation or maybe helping you in your growth as a believer, uh, those kinds of things. That's kind of the idea. Uh, so it's not a race to get through First uh, John, uh, not a race to kind of uh, uh, get through the discussion as quickly as possible, but the goal isn't to make it as long as possible either. It's just, you know, whatever the group is comfortable with, uh, but the idea is that we just kind of sit together around the scripture uh, and read that. And I, and I know that that's gone well in the past. Uh, people have enjoyed it in the sense that we found it profitable uh, and enjoyable, really, in a, in, a, uh, in a very good spiritual way. Just bow before the Lord, and uh, we'll begin. Father, as always, we are grateful, and we come here, Lord, in particular, as we worship you to focus on your word and what it says. Father, we know, Lord, that there are many obstacles to uh, our understanding your word as well as applying it to our lives. We pray, Lord, that you would remove those obstacles. We ask, Lord, that you would give to us the ability to focus and pay attention to your word and what it says. We pray, Lord, that we would allow it to percolate in our minds and our hearts, that there will be a very strong desire, Lord, to be influenced and challenged and changed by your word, that we may continue to grow and that our lives may give glory and honor to Christ in all that we do and in the way that we live. We are grateful, Father, for your word. And ask now that you do bless, and we do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Again, Paul writes, beginning in chapter 6 of verse 1, Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in, in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. So in chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, Paul again is really coming now to the close of a lengthy section uh, where he is really speaking about the nature of Christian ministry. That's not necessarily only his ministry, but really the ministry that God has called all of us to. The phrases, whether it's ministers of a new covenant, ministers of reconciliation, all those are used to describe and advocate 
really this superior ministry of a group. Um, and of course, he is, again, comparing himself with that group called the super apostles who preached a different gospel. So if our lives do not manifest vital Christianity, if our lives manifest really a shallow substitute, uh, a Christianity that's not of substance, uh, but just of style, then we are in danger of receiving God's grace in vain. Again, look at the first two verses. Working together with him, then we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time, I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So now these two verses may not really be as straightforward as they appear. When it comes to the phrase, to not receive the grace of God in vain, there are two main understandings of what Paul says about that. Number one, some will say that Paul is addressing believers at Corinth who are not partaking of grace to enable their sanctification. And most individuals take that view. Others feel that maybe Paul is addressing those in the church who have made a profession of faith, but who have had no fruit and are therefore very likely unbelievers who have never received the grace that resulted in genuine conversion. And there is a third view. There are some who say that both these things are going on. I do think that this passage can be applied to both groups. I do lean to the fact that he is addressing believers, but we'll deal a little bit more with that in a few moments. The first thing that I think is very important for us to recognize is how he begins this chapter. Because he says, working together with him. The idea with that phrase is that we are God's partners. We are partnering with God in this ministry of reconciliation that he brought up earlier toward the end of chapter 5. So today is Mother's Day. We often talk about how a, a mother has a special place in the family, which I guess it would be obvious, and then we have Father's Day, the dad has a special place in the family. But we do know that the moms normally do spend more time with the children than the father does, because it's still pretty much the case that most of the time men are working much longer hours, and I know things change depending on what culture you live in. But the idea is, is that it seems that a great deal of what the kids will learn, especially in the early years, about God and about Christianity and about love and about life, they learn from their mothers. And there is a great responsibility on mothers to teach their children about God. But you're not doing it alone. You are partnering with God in this. It's a responsibility that God has given to you, and he does hold you accountable for that, but your partner is really important. If I was in high school at the same time that Cole was in high school and we're in a science class together and the teacher says, now for this next project, you need to get a partner. I am moving. Cole, you're my partner. Because I know that the success of my grade is going to be intimately linked with my partner. I want Cole. If I'm in a math class, I've never seen this in a math class, but they want me to have a partner. Napoleon's my best friend. <laughs> he can work on the problem. I'll go get him Starbucks. Because the bottom line is, is my success is linked to him. And that is often true. You know, we know the importance of picking a good partner. 
I've even seen guys who have really, really, really good friends. They don't want their friend as a partner in any kind of class assignment because they know they're both doomed. You know, because he's lazy and he's a bum. He's not going to do anything, even though you're best friends. So when it comes to this, we are partners. So in whatever ministry you are involved in, so there, and I do believe the raising of our children is a ministry. It's a ministry for both mom and dad, but it's a ministry that God has given to us. If you happen to teach Sunday school, teach VBS, you're involved in mentoring somebody or in discipling somebody, you are not at doing that alone. You are partnering with God, which at the same time also, I believe, kind of raises the stakes. I can't just approach this in a nonchalant way because my partner is God. And what I do is going to be very important. Thank goodness the outcome isn't dependent upon me. Right? It's dependent upon God. And so that, we're in a good situation. But that's who I'm partnering with. And so when Paul begins this phrase, this is really very important. This, this I believe, in, uh, if nothing else, kind of reveals that when it comes to these guys who are, you know, that we've labeled and many others have labeled as super apostles, these false teachers who are trying to kind of gain the upper hand because they want to be in charge, they want to displace Paul and all those types of things, it makes what they're doing look even worse. That what you're doing is just ugly and, and, and trivial. We're partnering with God in ministry and your concern that people are following you, your concern that people think you're great because you have a degree or you're a good orator or whatever the case may happen to be, you're, you're partnering with God and you're spending your time putting down the Apostle Paul? Like, what are you doing? And so he, he's kind of raising the stakes here for us and I believe at the same time should be encouraging us to, in this ministry that God has called us to. And that's all of us. So it's not only that I'm partnering with God when I'm preaching. Everything we do connected with giving out the gospel, the, what the word of God means, advice, all that we're partnering with God. And that we should take that very seriously. There are many men through the years who have refused to preach because of fear. The fear of, of disappointing God or maybe mishandling the word of God because they understand the seriousness of it. The very first time I preached, I was preaching on Romans 8.28. I did not want to get anything wrong. Not because I didn't want to be called out on being wrong, but because I'm handling scripture. This is like really important. My dad had eight commentaries on Romans. I, I read them all because I had two months to prepare. So man, I'm, I'm on it. I read them and then borrowed some from some friends just to make sure that what I was going to say was not going to be in error. I was very nervous because I was handling the word of God. Because I've spoken in front of people before, even though most of them by that time it was kids, this was a room full of adults, and I was extremely nervous, but I didn't want to get it wrong. I had written my entire sermon out by, you know, I didn't have a computer back then, so I wrote the entire thing out. And it was many, many pages. And I had, I had read through it several times and knew that it was going to take me probably 35 to 40 minutes to work through it. I got up to preach. I didn't miss a reference. I was done in seven minutes. <laughs> I mean, it was just, I was just, you think I talk fast now. You think I spoke fast when I was the interim at Calvary. I put all that, I buried it. It was unbelievable. In fact, the one guy sitting in the front just kind of boom, closed his Bible and put it on the floor because he 
you know, by the time we found the first reference, I'm on the third reference reading it. But the idea is, is that when it comes to what we do with the Word of God, with ministry, it's, a, it's an integral part of every aspect of our life. This is not just something you just put on the side and you just get to it whenever you get to it. This is something God himself has called you and I to do. And it's very much a part of what God has called you and I to do as parents when it comes to the raising of our children. In the preceding context, Paul had spoken again of these individuals as being ambassadors of Christ. That they were given the word of reconciliation. That would be us as well. That it was as if God was speaking through them. That should help you guard your mouth when you're speaking to others about the word of God, including your children. So please don't use the Bible as a way to try to manipulate your children or to scare them into doing things. Don't do that. Just teach them what the word of God says. And if there's warnings, then there's warnings, right? So yeah, you, you show them and tell them that the Bible does say they must obey um, their parents. But don't add to the word of God. And say, you need to obey what I tell you, because that's what God says. And you know what happens to those who disobey God. Okay, that's not the best way to approach that. You don't need to put the fear of God into them. Let God do that. But we do want to use the word of God, so we we don't shy away from that. So I think it follows very easily in this verse that this working together is a working together with God. It is not their work, it is God's work that they are invited to join God in accomplishing. In fact, in 1 Corinthians in chapter 3, Paul said the same thing. He said, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So again, we have this incredible privilege to join with God in his word. In a sense, synergistically. I don't always like using that word when it comes to the relationship we have with God and ourselves, but... I know because all we don't want to take anything away from God and what he does because God accomplishes all these things. But God has given to us this responsibility. And so we do need to take this responsibility very seriously. Now, if you are a parent and you have failed to do this, don't just remain in the state of failure. You ask God to forgive you. Then when you speak to your children, you tell them. Say, I want you to know that mom and dad or dad or whoever's doing the speaking that I have done wrong. I've not been following everything that God says. And let's just say it's dad. So, and daddy's very sorry about that. And I've told God that I'm sorry. And so I want to make sure that I am teaching you what I know about God and what the Bible says. Because I don't want to be the reason why you don't believe in God. Your, your child would take probably 10 seconds to forgive you, maybe less. Now, don't turn that around and say, so from now on, we're spending two hours a day reading scripture. That's not how you approach that. But the idea is, is we take that very seriously. And by letting our kids know that we've asked God to forgive us, as well as asking them to forgive us, that moment will be marked in their life. It doesn't mean they're going to remember it when they're 30, that, oh yeah, I remember that day on Saturday morning at 9 o'clock, dad came in. They might. But the idea is that we take and that we understand this responsibility that God has given to us. So we, can, we should never underestimate that. There's no way to argue your way out of it. It is there. God has placed it on us. How do I know that it is God's will for you to teach your children? Because you have children. That's what's throughout the word of God. So it is an amazing thing, an amazing responsibility. 
And again, it should be very encouraging to us because it means that the good works that God has prepared for us are enabled and empowered by the Spirit of God. So again, whenever you volunteer to do things, teaching in children's camp, teaching Sunday school, VBS, one-on-one discipleship, just meeting with someone else to encourage them, to pray with them. You are partnering up with God in that endeavor. We are neither helpless nor alone as we carry out this work as ambassadors of Christ. And so you don't have to try to prepare yourself to be perfect in everything that you're doing. Make that effort. Yes, prepare, but make that effort. Stop with the excuses and get busy. So we do need to ask a question, though, with all of that. And when it comes to this as Christians, whose strength are you depending on to accomplish this? Because if you are depending on your own strength, you're going to grow weary and you're going to lose heart, even with your own kids. We're human beings. It's going to happen. We must be refreshed by God and his spirit. Because there will be those days when in the morning your kids wake up and in less than five minutes they're already at each other. And then you have to scold them and correct them. And then before breakfast is over, they're doing it again. And you correct them. And then maybe there's a few hours of peace as they're maybe playing or distracted, but then they're at it again before lunch. And then at it again during lunch. And sometimes we begin to wonder, am I making any difference at all? My kids are wretched. They just, they're not getting it. They're just at each other's throat all the time. Remember who your partner is. Keep asking God for strength. Keep diligently teaching your children, exercise patience, definitely exercise discipline, but stay at it. And then there will be those days that your kids seem to be perfect angels. Don't pat yourself on the back and say, I've finally done it. Because when you do that, it will explode in your face. But the bottom line is, is that we we should expect positive results. Even though we wait with great anticipation for our children to place their faith in Christ, we should not be stunned by that. We should be expecting that. Not because we're good, but we do want to be faithful and dependent upon God. Remember this, and I think this, and I don't know who I heard this from first. Um, it was many, many years ago I heard some guy preaching, but, but, but he said this, and it will always stick with me, and he said this. Remember that God loves your children more than you do. And that's an astounding thing. Maybe all of us love our children with all of our heart, mind, and soul. Especially before they become teenagers. Right? We, just, we just love them to bits. And to imagine that there is a being who, has a, who is genuinely more, greater, deeper love for them than me, it almost sounds like a challenge. There's no way. But it's true. And that is great news. When he mentions here to them, after he talks to them about uh, uh, being partners with God, he then immediately quotes from the Old Testament. Well, before he quotes from the Old Testament, he says, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Grace received in vain means that grace has failed to bring about God's intended effect, and thus his grace is without effect or result. It's nonproductive. Now, it's not because God's grace is defective, because it it isn't. And it's not because God is defective. It is because of the defective uh, recipient, or maybe the application or the lack of application by those who are the hearers or the recipients of the word of God. Paul doesn't state in here the specific ways that God's grace was in vain or wasted. 
But from the overall context of, of the letter to Corinthians, most likely some of these Corinthian believers, again, were either failing to grow in grace or even overtly backsliding into some of the sins that had characterized their lives before they became believers. In this sense, God's supernatural, all-sufficient, life-transforming grace was being wasted or received in vain. Remember that God's grace is always there because God is always good. God's grace, his goodness to us, comes from who he is. His grace, God's will, is going to be accomplished. But then as we look at the day-to-day things and we don't see those changes or we're not experiencing those changes in our lives, we are then wasting the grace of God. We are wasting the grace that God has given us. So we want to make sure that there's, there's no blame on God here. There's no, there's no defect with what God is giving us. It's not like God hasn't gone far enough or that God doesn't know what he's doing because he does. But there is, again, responsibility on our part. And we can waste this goodness of God. And we do. I think, I do think that for maybe it's most believers, maybe all, but most believers, we have experienced times in our lives when we have wasted the grace of God. Now, I'm not saying that you and I, once again, have to take on the life of a monk and that we have to wear some huge cross and wear brown robes that cause us to itch. And, you know, we only talk about God 24 hours a day. That's not what we're talking about. There is a way that we can live as Christians all the time. There's a way that we can relate to other people where we are acting like Christ all the time. There are ways that we can approach life and approach life from a biblical paradigm all the time. And there are times that we've just been living life by the seat of our pants. We're not giving any thought at all to God or what God wants or any of those things. And we're wasting the grace of God. I know for a fact I have been guilty of wasting the grace of God. I hate that. I regret that. I can't get that time back. I can't even do enough to make up for that time. It's just, it's there. And I'm grateful that God has forgiven me in Christ and is not holding that against me. Because if he was holding that against me, then there would be nothing more for me to do. Nothing nothing left for me to even begin to try. There would would be no effect I could have on anybody at all because God would be done with me. God is not done with me and God is not done with you. So don't be discouraged by this even if it reveals to you a huge flaw in your life. Go to the Lord. Take advantage of the grace that God is showing you now and get busy. Even if your kids are grown, if you failed in your life in raising them. This can be hard, but nonetheless, talk to them and just tell them that you've been convicted by God over your fa- of some of your failures as a parent, that you love them very much and that you failed to teach them to be an example, whatever happens to be when it comes to the word of God and who God is. And, and tell them that your greatest fear, which I hope it is, is that in their life, they would turn away from the Lord, not pay attention to the Lord, or treat the Lord as if he's unimportant because of your poor example or your poor teaching. You see, you're letting them know the importance of that in their life. That you are acknowledging your failure and ask them to forgive you. 
And they may say, oh, don't worry about it, it's okay. That's when you do need to stop them saying, well, no, but it's, it's not okay. That's, you, I don't tell them, I don't want you just to dismiss this because this might be awkward or uncomfortable. I'm very serious. You know, because it is, it's, it's hard to have real serious conversations with people. And it seems it can be very difficult to have serious spiritual conversations with people in our families. But you'd ask God to give you boldness and firmness and let them know. It may make them very uncomfortable. We pray to God they'll never forget it. And it'll be a, a moment that God can use in their life. In your life as well, but in their life. So there is something for us to do with this as we recognize what God has given us and what God demands of us. These believers face the loss of potential blessings that are related to spiritual growth. They are faced with the loss of potential blessings that are related to spiritual knowledge. They are facing the loss of potential joy that they would suffer by rejecting Paul as their apostle. Now the second way, and I'll just mention this briefly because I do believe there's an application here, and that is this. The second way the grace of God could be in vain or wasted is that there were these individuals that were in the church for whatever the reason they were professing to believe in Christ but they only possessed an intellectual belief. In their case, the gospel of Christ had failed to make them new creations. And so it's just, this is a difficult thing. It's something that I do believe is experienced in many, many churches across the world. It seems to be, in particular, a very uh, um, high percentage of individuals suffering from this in, in westernized types of churches where the culture has been maybe primarily influenced by the Bible. And, and there's been a lot of, you know, we have life pretty easy. There's a great deal of wealth, even though you may an individual be poor. There's a lot of wealth, a lot of ease. Uh, there's not a lot of pressure on us as far as maybe our religion or faith or what have you. And so there's this thing that we kind of do. We kind of go to church culturally. We obey our parents because, you know, it just makes life better. Maybe we really do like them or love them. And, but as long as we're successful, you know, everything is okay. And we need to make sure that we don't evaluate our lives in a shallow way like that. And so there are those who, they do have this intellectual belief that God exists. They, they believe that the Bible is the word of God in a sense, but, but they've never appropriated this for themselves. They've not placed their faith in Christ. There are certain events in the, in, in the life of of churches I've been to that stand out. And there was one in particular when I was a young man. I was, a, I was in high school. I don't know at what age I was, but there was a young lady in the church. Uh, her family had, was there at the church before my dad ever became the pastor. Uh, and when she was in her, I believe, early 20s, uh, she came to see my dad. And even though she'd been raised in the church and she was a very good, solid, moral, we would all say Christian young woman, she had become convinced that she did not know Christ. And so my dad met with her several times and uh, in the end ended up leading her to Christ. And then the following Sunday after that, she came forward and my dad explained to the congregation, um, you know, what was going on with her and why she had come forward because people were stunned that she had come forward. And uh, there was a handful of people, I don't know if, if it was eight or 10 or 12, but there's, they got angry. Can you imagine that? They were angry. What they were saying among themselves was, who told him he could tell her 
she wasn't saved. Now, he never said any of that. But man, they were upset. And then when my dad announced that when we had our next baptism, which was going to be in a month, we didn't have a baptistry at the church, so we baptized in the ocean. And so we, were, we, we would have church at the beach. I know, it was really hard in Hawaii. But um, <laughs> we were having church at the beach uh, on a Sunday night, and she was going to be baptized, and their anger just intensified. It was unbelievable. I, I mean, I just, it was just so shocking to me. And I've seen that happen. It makes us uncomfortable when that takes place. Maybe may, it may force us once again to examine ourselves, which is a very healthy thing for us to do. And so there were those there in the church, most likely there were some who were not believers, who were kind of going along with everything, and, and life was just great, uh, and yet Paul was recognizing that they were not new creations in Christ. And I cannot judge that for you. Your husband or wife cannot judge that for you, because we know we can come up with countless stories of individuals where it appears that, that they were never regenerated by Christ and they know Christ. And there's other individuals where we're convinced that they have been regenerated by Christ and they don't know Christ. It, it can be very difficult. And so it, we, it comes down to that individual being uh, affirming through the word of God and by the spirit of God they belong to him. And that's why Paul encourages that. And so the application of this passage to that is very appropriate for every congregation because there's always a possibility that there are some who are in our midst or of, the, or of that persuasion, so to speak. Paul then, in all this, then quotes from Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 49. In Isaiah 49, verse 8, that he quotes him, it reads this way, Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor I have answered you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land to, appro to apportion the desolate heritages. So here what's going on in context is Paul is quoting a section that is prophesying about the coming Messiah and his mission. John MacArthur adds that the Messiah is represented as asking for the grace of God to be given to sinners. God gives his favorable answer in a time of grace when salvation's day comes to the world. At his appointed time in the future, the Lord will, by his servant, accomplish the final deliverance of Israel. So Paul then is taking this passage in Isaiah and applying these words to his ministry of proclaiming the gospel of God's grace to all people. His point in using this passage from the Old Testament is to get them to understand the urgency and the privilege of living in the time in which they were living. So I'm going to back up on Isaiah 49 to give you greater context. I'm going to read verse 6 because this is what this all relates to. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. So that what that, what's going on here is, he says in one sense, it's too small of a thing to only be the savior of Israel. And the idea is, is he will be the savior of Israel, but he will be a light to the world and salvation to the world. So just like Paul, just like um, God is saying here, I have always been at the right time to rescue you and to deliver you. There will be a future deliverance and it will come at the right time. That's what he means when he says, in a favorable time I have answered you and in a day of salvation I have helped you. And I will keep you and give you for a covenant to the people of the people to restore the land, to make them uh, inherit the, the desolate heritages. 
So the bottom line is, is we need to see that, that uh, beyond just the immediate boundaries of Israel's deliverance from Babylon, there's coming a great day of salvation, a greater deliverance from their captivity. It's greater than anything else. It's going to be the spiritual salvation of all. It will come at the right time. It will come at a favorable time. So again, in speaking to the believers at Corinth, Paul is saying, don't do it. Don't listen to the false apostles who are, who are now living in that favorable time. Salvation doesn't come to the law like the false teachers talk about. It's going to come through Jesus Christ, only through the servant, that servant, who will die for you. Pay attention to the fact that you're living in a favorable time. The window of salvation by grace is wide open to both Jews and Gentiles. So don't do that. Don't go back to the law. Don't receive God's grace in vain. Don't delay. We today are living in that favorable time. How do we know? Because Jesus hasn't ended it yet. So the call to you and I is to be fruitful. Let Christ in you bring about that which he would say is success. When people are persuaded and reconciled to God. God is saying to you and me, be fruitful. Don't play around with this message of grace. You are here for a time. Be usable to God in that time. Remember that, this, again, we can't overemphasize the importance of the children that God has given to you. They are living in a favorable time. God has placed them in a family that knows and believes the gospel. And not only has God given us this ministry, he's allowing us to partner with him to take advantage of this time and to teach them and to live before them uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that should affect our evangelism. That should affect our missions around the world. It's going to affect our giving. It's going to affect everything that we do because we're not here for any other reason. We're strangers. We're just passing through. God says, I want to use you while you're here. So in the context of 2 Corinthians, stop squabbling. Stop being unreconciled to each other. And get busy about what I have put you on this earth to be. I'll close with giving you two illustrations. Each emphasizing what Paul is emphasizing here. There's a story of a Saxon king. He put down a rebellion in a, different, in a distant province of his kingdom. And he placed a burning candle in the archway of the castle. And he made an announcement that all who rebelled would be spared if they put down their arms and took a loath, an oath of loyalty to the king. Clemency and mercy were offered, but the offer was limited to the life of the candle. We know the Lord is going to return. We know that when one dies, there's no second chances. On the day of judgment, there's no second chances. So the time is now. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, which is a great book to read, he says this, Once a newly assigned demon was explaining his strategy to a veteran. My plan, he said, is to convince the man that there is no God. No, said the senior devil. That will not work. All the man has to do is to look beyond the earth and he will know that God exists. Well then, said the junior demon, I will convince him that there is no devil. That, that is more promising, replied the veteran tempter, but still... If he takes a close look around his own neighborhood, he will realize that the devil exists. Here's the best plan. Don't try to convince man there is no God or convince man there is no devil. Just tell him there is no hurry. 
Let me say to you this morning that you and I have no guarantee that we'll see another Christmas. I'm not trying to be morbid. We just know that's reality. But I urge you this morning, I implore you as an individual to be reconciled to God. If you are wasting the grace of God and going through the motions, I may not know it. You may have everybody fooled. And if you have everyone fooled, good for you. But you haven't fooled God who sees the heart of man. I don't think anyone here would ever be angry if somebody here even was a lifetime member pleaded and asked Christ to save them because they were never saved. We might be wondering a lot of things, but we will rejoice and we'll be so happy. For those of us who are believers, we may still be wasting the grace of God. We've wasted the grace of God with our family. We've wasted the, the, the grace of God in our neighborhood. We are wasting the grace of God at work and those that we meet. Yes, it's hard. Yes, there's so many different ways to be able to share the gospel with others. But don't say there's so many different ways and use no way. Try something. It may just be inviting him to church or a men's oyster roast or letting us take their kids to camp or whatever it happens to be. You can try that. You can try just praying for them and asking God to give you opportunities to share the grace of God with them. Because you and I are ministers of reconciliation. Remember that many people that you know outside of the church, maybe some inside the church, but outside the church, what we know about humanity based on the Bible, based on the news, just based on maybe your own life, there are people out there who are putting on a smile and their life at home is a wreck. They are not happy. There are individuals who are having so much trouble in their relationship with their children or maybe in relationship to their parents or in relationship to their job. And they're feeling stress and they don't, they, they don't have a way to handle all of that stress. So ask God to bless you with wisdom. Maybe ask God to increase the weight of their stress that they'll feel it. Because there will be times when someone decides to open up to you and when sometimes when it happens, it's like the floodgates just open and you feel like you've been in a wind tunnel. And when that takes place, you don't have to be fearful because you're partners with God. What has just taken place is planned by God. You are the one that they opened up to. Even at that moment, you can ask God to give you wisdom. At that moment, you can even tell them, I want to help you. I want to give you the best advice that I can. And I need to pray and think about what you've told me because it, it's overwhelming me. And I feel bad for you. And I want to be there for you no matter what. It's better to do that and offer no advice and seek help and advice from maybe a mature believer and the word of God and come back to them later. Or it may be that you can say to them that I know that the most important thing in life is to make sure that we have our relationship with God intact. Because outside of that, nothing's going to work. Because that really is the source of our problems. And begin to talk to them about that. I pray that God will burden our hearts with a great love for those who don't know Christ. That God will encourage our hearts that we realize that we are really in partnership with him. And so that, that can guarantee success in the situation. Let's pray.
Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. Father, in particular, we thank you for, our, for those of us who had mothers who raised us as believers. We thank you, Lord, that they worked in partnership with you and that they were successful. We thank you, Father, for the responsibility you give to many of us who have children at home. It's a great privilege to be able to influence our children with the most important thing in the universe, the most precious thing, which is this, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, Father, we ask that you would strengthen us and you would arm us and you would give us wisdom and strength and boldness. But, Father, also for those who may be wasting the grace of God because they've been going through the motions, it's a difficult thing, Father, for some of us to be able to assess. Our pride enters in, and there's all kinds of things that go on in our minds. So, Father, I pray that with consistency and firmness, that they will seek your help and guidance, and you will lead them to the truth concerning their spiritual condition. And that if they don't know you, I pray, O Lord, that it will become clear to them by the conviction of your spirit that they're outside of Christ. I pray, O Lord, they will come to you and come clean and place their faith in Christ, knowing, Lord, that you will forgive them for every wrongdoing they've ever done, including pretending to be a Christian. And Father, we ask that we will always be of a mindset to welcome them with open arms and to love them unconditionally, Father, because all of us have experienced that from you and know that's what we needed the most. So, Father, we thank you. We do ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.